0: Colossians chapter 3, the month of January is named after the Roman god Janus, (coughs) J-A-N-U-S. Janus is usually depicted as a man with two faces. One face looked back at the year that had just passed and that face bore traces of sorrow and dismay and perplexity and regret. But The other face looked forward to the new year ahead and that face personified confidence and enthusiasm And optimism and hope. At this time of year one cannot help looking back and many of us traditionally take stock at the beginning of the new year. Indeed I think it's a beneficial exercise to do so and a missed opportunity I think if we don't. But as I was studying this week, I read that some, quote, Italians, I'm sure this is some, not all, some Italians have a custom. As midnight on New Year's Eve approaches, the streets are cleared. There's no traffic, there's no pedestrians, even the police take cover. Then at the stroke of 12, the windows of the houses fly open. To the sound of laughter and music and fireworks, each member of the family throws out of the windows old crockery, detested ornaments, hated furniture and a whole catalogue of personal possessions which remind them of something of the past year that they are determined to wipe out of their minds. Now, I'm not suggesting you start throwing things out the windows or uh, look back in your family history to find some Italian... Roots that would justify such activity. But I am wondering, I do wonder, has the past year contained things for you that you would rather expunge from your mind? Was it a year of sorrow and anxiety, indeed of remorse and regrets? If so, then you need to read the words of the Apostle Paul in Philippians 3 verses 13 and 14. He says, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In those verses, Paul talks about leaving the past behind and making a new start. Now, in his letters, the Apostle Paul uses illustrations, various illustrations, to communicate truth about the Christian life. And four illustrations are prominent in his writings. In several places, including Ephesians 6, he used the illustration of the military. Put on the armour of God, he says. In 1 Corinthians 3, he used the illustration of architecture. says, ye are the temple of God. In Galatians chapter 6, the illustration is of agriculture. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And here, as well as other places, the illustration is of athletics. In this paragraph, Paul is the athlete. The verb reaching forth in verse 13 literally means stretching as in a race. The picture is of a runner stretching forth straining every muscle as he presses towards the mark, as he presses towards the finish line in an attempt to win the race and gain the prize. Now that illustration makes a powerful point about the Christian life. As Christians, we have the responsibility of running the race and achieving the goals that God has set before us. To borrow the phraseology of Hebrews 12, verse 1, every believer is on a track Each one has a lane upon which to run and a goal to achieve. And if we reach the goal in the way that God has planned, then we do receive a reward. But if we fail, then we lose the reward. And maybe these are the kinds of thoughts that bother us as we look back on 2022. Maybe the year 2022 was a year that you actually lost ground in the Christian race or fell behind significantly in the Christian race or, or crashed out of the race altogether. Yet in the mercy of God, 2023 provides an opportunity to make a fresh start, to, to, to get back in the race. In the mercy of God today is an opportunity for a fresh, a new start. Now I have no doubt that all of us want to be winning at Christian fulfilling the purposes for which God has saved us. The question is, what are the essentials for winning the race and one day receiving the reward that has been promised? Well, there are two main things that we see in these two verses. Two main points are there on the outline sheet for you this evening. Firstly, Paul tells us that we must forget those things which are behind us. Verse 13. He says, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind one of the great barriers to making a new start for the lord is the memory of the past past failures as well as past successes can harass us in one way or another until we get to the point where we just we're not we're not able to do anything new we're not able to do anything Different, And if we would forget the things that are behind us so that we can run with patience the race that is set before us, then firstly Paul tells us here that past sins need to be forgiven. Past sins must be forgiven. There's no forgetting of past sins without the forgiveness of past sins. Because all sin is against God. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 15 tells us that God requires that which is past. Therefore, sin can't simply be ignored. It has to be forgiven. And Paul was certainly very conscious, very aware of the many failures and sins in his own life. Think about the time that he blasphemed the name of Christ. Think about the the years that he persecuted the church of God, making widows and orphans. No doubt as a Christian those thoughts troubled him greatly day and night but there came a a time when Paul actually owned up to his sins and having confessed his sin to God he then entered into a new experience of forgiveness and cleansing and in a similar way if we would know a fresh start in our lives we also must experience the forgiveness of our past sins. Thank God the Bible says if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. And that promise is made to everyone who will confess their sin. That is to, all, to everyone who will bring their sin out into the open before God and agree with God without what God says about that sin. That's confessing our sin. God already knows about it. He wants to hear about it from us, though. Therefore, it's no good hiding it. There's no point denying it. Proverbs 18, 28, verse 13 says, Whoso covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. My question to you tonight is, have you done that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever confessed your sin to the Lord and asked the Lord to forgive you? Have you asked the Lord to save you from the penalty of your sin, which is an eternity in hell under the wrath of God? This is what our sin deserves. My question is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation? Have you asked the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you? Are you trusting in Christ and Christ alone for your salvation? If not, then why not? You need to do that today. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear the voice of God, don't harden your heart. The Book of Hebrews tells us we repeat that warning again today. Settle that matter with the Lord today. What, what, no better day than today than to ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you and to save you. But if you have done that, If you are a Christian, if you are saved, my question is this, what about the, the, the sins that you've got in the habit of committing, the things that you regret about last year, or even last week, those sins which doth so easily beset you and cause you to lose the Lord's fellowship? If we would know a fresh start in our life, then we must experience the forgiveness of our past sins. And brethren, if God says that he forgives our sins when we confess them to him, then he does that. He does forgive us and this is a point which I think we need to emphasise this evening because some of us, I think, have a lot of trouble just actually believing that. We don't think that God has forgiven us because we still feel bad and dirty about it. And so what do we do? We confess it again and again and again and again and again and again. But the thing is, brethren, if the supreme lawgiver of the universe has says, says that we are clean, then what right do we have to pronounce that we're still dirty? Rather than repeatedly confessing our sins over and over and over and over again, instead repeatedly affirm the fact that on the basis of God's word, God says if we confess our sins to him, then he does forgive us. We have been forgiven. Brethren, quote and continue to quote Psalm 32 verses 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord will not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. Verse 5, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, my iniquity have I not hid. I said I'll confess my transgression unto the Lord and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Brethren, quote, and continue to quote scripture that assure us of the effectiveness of the finished work of Christ and the power of the blood of Christ, that assure us of the forgiveness of our sins on the basis of the word of God, which tells us if we confess it to God, he will forgive us. Brethren, quote, and continue to quote scripture. Brethren, quote, and continue to quote or sing and continue to sing great theologically rich hymns which set forth the truth of the word of God and the power of the blood of Christ, like Charles Wesley's, he breaks the power of cancelled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. In the 14th century, Robert the Bruce of Scotland was leading his men into battle to gain independence from England. Near the end of the conflict, the English wanted to capture Bruce to keep him from the Scottish crown. So they put his own bloodhounds on his trail. When the bloodhounds got close, Bruce could hear their baying. His attendant said, we're done for. They're on your trail and they will reveal your hiding place. But Bruce said, it's all right. And he headed for a stream that flowed through the forest. He plunged in and waded upstream a short distance, and when he came out on the other bank, he was in the depths of the forest. Within minutes, the hounds, tracing their master's steps, came to the bank. They went no farther. The English soldiers urged them on, but the trail was broken. The stream had carried the scent away. And a short time later, the Crown of Scotland was rested rested on the head of Robert the Bruce, Brethren, the memory of our sins prodded by Satan are like those baying dogs. But brethren, there is a stream that flows. It flows red with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. No sin hounds can touch us. The trail is broken by the precious blood of Christ. By the grace of God, we're safe. I think there are many Christians today who make the error of confusing the accusations of the devil with the voice of the Holy Spirit. The responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins so that we come to the point of confessing our sin. And after that, the work of the Holy Spirit to convict ends. He's done his work. But at that point, I think the devil usually takes over and continually accuses us of the sins that we have confessed to God that he's already forgiven. Believers who think that the accusations of the devil are the convictions of the Holy Spirit. According to this vicious cycle of continual confession without the assurance of forgiveness. Or they alternatively believe a lie that they must live with the guilt as a punishment for sin. But when Christ died upon the cross, his death was the punishment for sin. His death was the payment for sin. So why then should anyone think that we must pay ourselves again a second time? His blood atones for Adam's race. And so brethren, if you have confessed your sin, then the next time Satan reminds you of your past, just remind him of his future past sins must be forgiven, the Bible says. And sins of the past which have been confessed are forgiven, the same Bible says. But sin is not the only thing that's behind us that needs to be forgotten. Secondly, past successes must be forsaken. Verse 13, forgetting those things which are behind Reaching forth to those things which are before, I press towards the mark. Paul again employing metaphorical language of being on a race course. He speaks of leaving behind previous stages of the race. He implies here that he's not wasting any time surveying his progress to date. There's only one thing that is important, that is continuing to run and running to win, pressing on to the finish line. And I think... One of the more subtle devices of the devil is slowing us down in our Christian lives by means of uh, we rest upon our laurels and we engage our minds and our hearts in the, the memory of past ministry, the memory and indeed the glory of past successes. Now as an unsaved man, Paul had plenty of those He tells us about them in verses 4 to 6. He had so much success. He was the the envy of the most zealous. He was at the top of the tree, a man of outstanding achievements. Yet once he came to know Christ as his Saviour, those things, that wonderful success that he previously thrived on and enjoyed, he now considered those things but dung. He considered those things worthless as a matter of fact it wasn't just that he considered them worthless he didn't even he didn't even think about those things at all i mean what normal person spends their moments of nostalgia thinking about manure you just don't do it not only is it worthless it's not it's not even something you think about but then even as a christian paul became remarkably successful Within a few weeks of his conversion, he made an impact upon Damascus. He stirred up such opposition that he was forced to flee from the city. He then went into Arabia, where he thought through the Old Testament revelation in light of the cross of Christ. He there formulated New Testament doctrine and actually coined many of the words and expressions which are now common currency of Christian theology. And while he was waiting for God's call upon his life, he evangelized Arabia and Tarsus and Cilicia, then moving to Syrian Antioch at the urging of Barnabas, he then had a great impact upon that wicked city. He evangelised the island of Cyprus, founded a string of churches in Galatia, Antioch in Pisidia, Alconium, Derbe, Lystra, later on in northern Galatia. He championed the cause of Christian liberty. He helped out the elders of the church at Jerusalem understand that the Gentiles didn't have to become Jews in order to become Christian. It was a monumental achievement and it freed the church of the shackles of Judaism. Paul pioneered the work of the gospel in Europe. He planted thriving churches in Philippi and Berea and Thessalonica and Corinth. He made a memorable speech on Mars Hill before the intellectuals of the world. He evangelised Ephesus and he left behind a church which in turn reached out and planted other churches in Asia Minor. And after years of travelling and preaching and teaching, Paul arrived in Rome as a prisoner. And even there he was winning converts in the ranks of the imperial guard and even in Caesar's palace. Paul influenced scores of young men to follow his example and give themselves to preaching and teaching and pastoring. Timothy and Titus and Aristarchus and Stephanus and Tychicus and Trophimus, just to name a few. He performed miracles healing the lame, casting out demons, banishing fever, curing the sick, raising the dead. Paul had a most eventful and illustrious past, but he realised to be preoccupied with the past was to divert his attention from the present. And by all means, brethren, by all means, let's learn the lessons of history. Let's benefit from past experiences but if we are going to live our lives for the glory of of God and make progress in our Christian life then we of necessity need to concentrate more on today than on yesterday. This is a timely lesson. So often people try to live in the traditions of the past or the memories of the good old days. In the United Kingdom, if you visit Wales, you'll hear many people there talking about the Welsh Revival. And on the one hand, to hear those stories is wonderfully exciting, but on the other hand, they're not terribly relevant in this respect. For many people in Wales, there's an obvious need to live in the now and forget about the then because in the minds of most people there, it seems that the glory of the good old days are being accepted as valid substitutes which of that which should be the glory of today. Most people there today. It doesn't seem to matter very much that nothing is happening today, because something happened once. Many people like that today, destitute of any valid testimony of the power of God in the present. All they do is linger on the memories of the past, and consequently, they're very little use in the present because they're all for, for, forever looking back, always looking back, stuck in a rut. Which someone has aptly described as a coffin with the ends kicked out. Too many Christians are shackled by sins of the past, trying to run the race while looking backwards with a ball and chain about their ankle. No wonder they stumble and fall and are obstruction to other Christians and too many Christian runners are being distracted by the success of the past, not just the failures. It's just as bad. Because they cease to go forward themselves and they're a perpetual wet blanket discouraging others. If we want to make a new start, the things which are behind need to be set aside. The sins of the past must be forgiven. The successes of the past must be forsaken. And the things that are before us must take their place. Which brings us to the second thing that we see here. We must embrace the things that are before us. Verse 13 says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. A man who was losing his memory went to the doctor for advice. He received this di- uh, diagnosis. We cannot help your memory without impairing your eyesight. The choice is yours. Would you rather be able to see or to remember? The man thoughtfully replied, he says, I'd rather have my eyesight than my memory. I'd rather see where I'm going than remember where I've been. Now, I'm sure that story is apocryphal. But it does remind us of something that we need to hear. As we sit here today, our present, this present moment, is more important than the past. We have no claim on the past. We have no guarantee on the future, but we do have a claim on the present, this present moment. The past is closed, but the present is open, open for new possibilities. But we cannot live meaningful lives today. We cannot run with patience the race that is set before us today if we are tied either to the successes or the failures of the past. And at this point, the Apostle Paul is an example for us all. Verse and Paul says, This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, this one thing I do, I reach forth to those things which are before. This is, this is the one thing I do, reaching forth to those things which are right before me at this moment. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I think the Apostle Paul here has at least two important objectives in mind. In essence, we can describe them as the providences of God and the responsibilities of life. So let's consider each of these. The providences of God. Verse 13, reaching forth under those things which are before. I press toward the, mark, I press toward the finish line. You know, Most people are actually afraid of the future. Those things which are before them. Uncertain about them. Insecure about what lays ahead fills the heart with fear and foreboding today, but for the Christian, there need be no fear. In the language of an old hymn, peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown, Jesus we know and he is on the throne. The reason for that peace is that there is nothing that can happen to us which is not already foreknown and included within the permissive will of God for us and nothing will ever happen to us that God will not work together for, for, for good to those that love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. There is a very real sense in which trusting, trusting in the living God, we can actually embrace the things which are before us. The circumstances of life, whatever they might be, whatever they might be, are under the wise providence of God. They need never, neither terrify nor disturb us. Lay hold of the things which are before us. Embrace them. Because they come to us under the providence of a wise and loving and kind and gracious God. The second thing we must embrace is or are the responsibilities of life. Verse 4: And I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The picture is still of a runner here, with his eye on the finish line. No one can ever make success of life without having a goal set before them. Someone said, if you, you, know, if you aim at nothing, you're, you're sure to hit it. Now, the Apostle Paul points out that the goal of every Christian should be the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Without doubt, the prize is, he's thinking about here, is the reward at the judgment seat of Christ. Once the race is over, you receive the prize. We run the race for our life. At the end of it, there is a reward The judgment seat of Christ and what greater achievement can there be brethren for any believer than to foresee being crowned in that day not for our own honour and glory but for the Lord's glory and the Apostle Paul could say as he neared the end of that race, I have fought a good fight, one analogy, I have finished my course, I've kept the faith Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to me only, but unto unto all them also which love his appearing. Brethren, wherever you look in the New Testament, you will see that the responsibility of every Christian involves righteous living in the present. We run this race. What does it involve? It involves righteous living. Anywhere you look in the New Testament, this is what you find over and over again. It's talked about in different ways. It's always the same message. Righteous living day after day after day till, till Jesus comes or till we go to be with Jesus. That's what we're called to do. That's our responsibility. This is the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. It's a high calling, but it's also a holy calling. That's, what it's, that's how it's phrased in 2 Timothy 1 verse 9. Such a quality of life demands separation from sin and consecration unto God worked out in everyday experience. It means following the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever the cost. And righteous living ultimately is crowned with rewarded living in a future day. There is a prize to win in that future day. And how we live on earth today, okay, not tomorrow, okay, not yesterday, today, how we live on earth today determines our status and our authority in that coming day when Jesus shall reign undisputed over the universe. The Bible tells us if we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. If we deny him, He will also deny us such rewards. It's a solemn fact to contemplate that throughout eternity we will carry with us the evidences of having been faithful or unfaithful in our life upon earth. Therefore, brethren, it is imperative that we embrace what is before us and live righteously and rewardingly. Hebrews 12 says let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us run with patience the race that is set before us. Okay. Lay aside every sin. Okay, that's basic, that's obvious. Okay. You can't run for the Lord carrying sin. Sin is going to hinder our running. So get rid of that obviously, but but also it goes it also says lay aside every weight. And that, they're not sins. Okay, he's already dealt with the sin thing. Lay aside sin, but also need to lay aside every other weight which doth so easily impede our running for the Lord. A lot of people ask the question, You know, you know can I do such and such? You know, the Bible doesn't say it's a sin. It's not a sin, therefore I should be able to do it. Can I go ahead and do it? Tell me I can do it. It's completely the wrong question. Completely the wrong question. The right question to ask is not, you know, what can I do? The right question is, what can I give up? What can I put off that's going to help me run? What, what's something? It's not a sin in my life, but, it, but it's actually it's, it's a weight that actually hinders my... It doesn't help me with my running. But the question is, tell me what I can put off that will help me run for the Lord. Help me run better for the Lord today than I did yesterday. What can I forsake in order to maximise my running for the Lord Jesus today? Brethren, we're not to be the same as everyone else. We're not. There is a calling upon our lives. It is a high calling. It is a holy calling. It's not just an idea. It's not just a suggestion. It's not just an option that we can take or leave. It is a God-given responsibility upon every single one of us to live righteously. But not only do we have a responsibility to live righteously in the present day, we also have a responsibility to serve faithfully in the present day. Paul, we've already acknowledged, served faithfully in the past, as no doubt many of you have done. But what's Paul's point here? He says the past is the past. Thank God for it, but it is the past. Paul had touched two continents for Christ in the past. What about Africa? And what about those continents not yet discovered? When Paul reached Rome, he now wanted to go to Spain. And beyond Spain lay evangelized outposts of the, the empire. What about those regions beyond? Who was going to take the gospel? To the islands of Britain, to the Scots, to Gaul, to the Huns and the Goths, to Parthia, beyond the Euphrates. Were not these places and people part of God's great commission that he had entrusted to Paul, the apostle of the Gentiles? There remained much land to be possessed. The task was quite unfinished. Actually, it barely begun. And Paul decided there's only one thing to do, one thing to do. Begin again as though nothing had been accomplished. His new plan was to put the past resolutely behind him and set his sights on new targets ahead. In stating his new objectives, Paul used this memorable phrase, this one thing I do. D.L. Moody, almost as busy a man as Paul in the work of Christ, used to say it's better to say this one thing I do than to say these 40 things in which I dabble. I think Paul would agree. He concentrated his energy on one goal that he'd set for himself. Nothing could distract him. And Brethren, we get one shot at this life one shot at serving the Lord in this life and what we do serving the Lord in this life impacts our eternity and no doubt the eternity of others whom we reached with the gospel or didn't. What better way to start the new year than by making a new start with the Lord? What a better way to start the new year. I think perhaps many of you would have heard of the famous runner Eric Liddell, affectionately known as the Flying Scotsman. He was a man who famously said, God made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure. Commentator Kent Hughes reports that Liddell was already a famous runner But, quote, his fame increased as a runner and as a Christian, especially in the Paris Olympics in 1924, when he refused to run his best events, the 100 metres and the 4 by metre relay, because these were run on Sunday. Ken continues, he says, the movie Chariots of Fire inaccurately portrays this as a last minute decision in Paris, whereas he actually decided well in advance and began to train for the 200 and 400 metre races. Liddell took the bronze in the 200 and amazed the world by winning the 400 in world record time of 47.6 seconds, five meters ahead of the silver medalist. He was truly flying. Ken continues his runner, he was, but that was only one manifestation of his devotion to Christ. In 1925, having completed his degree in science at Edinburgh and a degree in divinity, he set sail as a missionary to China with the China Inland Mission. In 1932, during his first furlough, he married Florence McKenzie. In 1941, facing the growing threat of Japanese occupation, he sent his wife and three daughters to Canada to stay with her family while he stayed on to serve among the poor. Liddell suffered many hardships but kept on running hard after Christ. In 1943, he was interred in the Weishin internment camp where he cheerfully served those around him. In 1945, at age 43, Liddell died of a brain tumour that may have been caused by his malnourishment and overwork. Liddell's grave was marked by a simple wooden cross and his name written in boot polish. He He is interred in the mausoleum of the martyrs in some unpronounceable place in China. Kent says, I do not know what the inscription says. But if I were to imagine one, it would be he died running running all the way to the finish line. He was a man whose life was given to one thing: forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. He pressed towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. How about you? How about me? What are we going to spend our short life doing? We have no claim upon the past. Forget about it. Whatever you've done to date, forget about it. We have no guarantee of the future. Our times are in God's hand. Today is all that we are assured of. And today can be just the same as yesterday. There's lagging behind. Crashing out of the race altogether, or today you can make a new start, getting back in the race, pressing on for the prize, fulfilling our responsibilities, living righteously, and serving faithfully. This is my prayer for all of us today and every day that God gives us this year. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I do pray that we wouldn't waste our lives. Look, Heavenly Father, thank you for the service that we have been able to render to you. Some of us last year and the year before and the year before and we could keep keep talking about that, reminiscing about that, being pleased and thankful about that. Lord, all those things are, are in the past. Lord, uh, the sins that we've committed are also in the past, thankfully, under the precious blood of Christ. Forgiven, forgotten, as far as you're concerned. But Lord, that does bring us to Today, And Lord, I do pray that we wouldn't in any way rest upon our laurels. Pray that we wouldn't look back. No man having put his hand to the plough looking back is fit for the kingdom. So Lord, help us not to make that mistake. Lord, help us to keep our eyes looking forward, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Help us run with patience the race that is set before us, not someone else's race. Lord, help us to... Run the race that you have set before us. Help us not to fail. To fulfill the responsibility that you have called us to. The service that you have called us to. The righteous living that you call us to. Lord, help us to embrace that high and holy calling. Thank you that all things done in your name today, for your honour and glory today can have eternal consequences, eternal significance, eternal fruits. Lord, help us to be mindful of that. Help us to be glad about that. May that motivate us and help us. Lord, encourage us in these things this evening. We ask with thanksgiving in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Final hymn tonight is uh, Uh, 417 from the hymns of faith hymn book the words will be up on the screen and uh, jeremy's going to come and lead us in this hymn which is a prayer